0: Let me pray, and then we'll get into our uh, our time together. Uh, Father, I just I thank you that that you are God, you are Lord of all, and that you are you have made a home in us by your Spirit because of the work of Jesus. That we have a new relationship with you, we have a new way of thinking with you, and we have you in us where we cry like Abba Father, where we are in this room, most of us are in this room, because we crave your presence. We, we long to satisfy our hearts and our souls with Christ, and I pray for that, I pray you would do that. I pray you would, you would commune with us, that we would meet with you. This wouldn't be a lecture, wouldn't feel like a, a presentation. It would feel as though the breath and the, the warmth and the majesty of God was among us. So I just, that's a miracle. So I pray for it. I pray Holy Spirit that you would help me Teach, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would manifest the spiritual gifts you've given me, and uh, and it would it would come with such power. And I thank you that your word is your word is living and active. So I pray for us. I pray as we prepare our hearts for this upcoming series, that you would frame our hearts, that you would position our minds and that we would worship you in this time. And please answer this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so one of the greatest purposes of Jesus. Now, right away in your mind, you're, you, you're probably thinking, there's a purpose of God? I want to know that. I want to know what James says next because that's a big deal. Like if you can get to the purpose of God, it could change a lot in your life. So so one of the greatest purposes of Jesus coming and procuring, it is finished, salvation for us is not only that he brings us into forgiveness and, and a new perfect position with the Father where we have a relationship with God. That's incredible, but Further than that, even more than that, one of the greatest purposes Jesus has is that he would never stop pouring into us this love. He would never stop forming us. He would always work for our formation. So the Bible teaches that Jesus has come, and this is really important because I'm calling us to have the right lens towards all these topics. So Jesus has come To transform our hearts. He's come to reorder our loves and align them up to his loves, what he's like. But in all of that, he is is primarily making us more like him. That the Christian has an activity of God by which that activity is he is forming his character, his heart, his, his joyful worship of God in you. That's that's happening. That is his passion for you. It is the final goal. The Bible says when you see Jesus, you will instantly become like him. That's, the, that's awesome. So let me show you this because that sounds cool, but here's what the Bible says. Romans eight twenty nine. for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Here's how the NIRV translates it, God planned that those he had chosen would become like his son. It's pretty clear. Colossians 3 says, do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. So a Christian is someone who has a new self. They have a new nature, they have the Holy Spirit in them. They all of a sudden the reordering is happening, but watch what he says next. This new self is being renewed into something. What is it? which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So it's being renewed. Your new self is new positionally and it's becoming new. That's, that's happening, like God is doing that. Paul says in Philippians that he who began a good work will bring it to completion. What's the completion? You'll look like Jesus. This is really, really, really important. So having his posture, having his character, his compassion, his devotion, his worship life is what every male, what every female made in his image, in their unique personhood, wiring personality is meant to shine. So God's passionately making you more like Jesus. How does this happen? Well, the Bible teaches that every believer, again, as I've been saying, has God's spirit in them, that cries, Abba, Father. So the main mission of the Holy Spirit is to magnify Jesus in our hearts above everything else. That's what Jesus says in John 16, when the helper comes, he will will spotlight me. And as he does that, as we behold Jesus, the Bible teaches that he's forming us from one degree of glory to another. Okay. So let me show you this verse 2 Corinthians 3:18 and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So change begins when he's in the center of our hearts. Jesus said all our behaviors they will flow from the heart. So the greatest purpose for every male and female every every person is to place Jesus at the center of the heart, okay? So you're with me, you guys okay? Just so you know, the fire trucks came today because the heating system triggered the alarm, so there's no air in here, okay? So if you're like, oh, that's why I can't can't seem to keep these eyes open, feel free to stand up because it's gonna get hot in here. We're gonna feel like a missionary church. Let's pretend this is underground. It's really exciting. You guys traveled two hours to get here. You can't wait to hear what I'm about to say, okay. The Bible counsels again and again in Proverbs, places like Proverbs, keep your heart with all vigilance. So again, I'm talking to us as the church who's about to go into the cultural elephants of the room. So he says, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it, from the heart, flow springs of life. The NIV says, uses the word guard your heart. So follow me here. The calling for us is to not only be attentive to But intentional with what we love and what we put in our hearts. So, so you're right now in your mind, this is what you're saying to yourself. Okay, self, memorize that one. Your calling self is to not only be attentive to, but intentional with what you fill your loves with. This is why Jesus begins all of his. Ways of following him with follow me, put me in the center of your life, love me above everyone else. You should love me in comparison to your father and mother. Like, like that, that should feel like hate with how much you love me. Like this is this is the first commandment: love the Lord God with all your heart. So Jesus is who we exist to love most. Jesus is in us, changing us, transforming us to have His heart. So for Christians, Jesus is not the, only a teacher who informs our thinking. But here's here's a quote: He isn't content to simply deposit new ideas into your mind. He's after nothing less than your wants, your loves, your longings. His teaching doesn't just touch the calm, cool, collected space of reflection and contemplation. He is a teacher who invades the heated, passionate regions of the heart. He is the word who penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit. He judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So put another way, Who we are becoming is the most important question on every issue that we will face. The goal of every human being is always the same. It's Jesus. So let me put it this way. The way of Jesus is not namely about behavior and it's not even primarily about practices It asks the question, not what am I doing and not even why am I doing it? It asks the larger, bigger question, who am I becoming by why and what I'm doing? Who am I becoming by why and what I'm doing? And this is the question, the followers of Jesus, because this is who I'm talking to. This is the question followers of Jesus are called to ask about their sexual practices, about the issues of our day. Who am I becoming by the way I am using and giving myself to sexuality? Who am I becoming by the way I'm using and giving myself to pornography, to same-sex attraction, to who am I becoming? Is- God's goal for your life is not primarily the reconciliation of your agenda or your sexual freedoms, but to find new life in Jesus. That's his goal. One of the most important truths that is helpful for us to keep in mind in this whole, in the first, at least the first five weeks is the most fully human and complete person who ever lived wasn't married. He never entered into a romantic relationship and he never had sex. And he was the most full Fully human and complete person. So, while in the appropriate context, those are great gifts, they have God's design and beauty in them, they cannot be essential to individual human fulfillment. It has to be in your lens. What's essential to individual human fulfillment begins with Jesus having Him. So, on every issue we're facing, Coming up in a few weeks, we're going to unpack this more, but the goal from God is always who's He's forming you. It's who am I becoming by what I give myself to. It's it's are you joining God in what He's doing in you? It's interesting when you when you like come across like the prayers of Paul, for example. Um, he always prays like really interesting prayers for the church. He says stuff like. Uh, in in Colossians, that they would be filled with like the fullness of God, that that they would know the heights and the depths of their love of God, that they would have this knowledge to comprehend his love. And now here's why I find that interesting is he's not writing to unbelievers. So when he's praying, he's not, but like, so just to be, by definition, all Christians have already have Jesus dwelling in them by the spirit. They even have the fullness of God. They have the fullness of God by virtue of having Jesus in them, union with Christ. So what is he praying? Well, he's praying and hoping that they would experience by the spirit what they already believe in. Like he's just, he wants them to have the presence and the love of Jesus. He just wants them to be so in love with, with Jesus, I I I don't know about you guys, but man, I remember. Like, do you remember when you first gave your life to Jesus? Like, I remember I would I would drive to malls. Like, I would just show up at the at the uh, food court and just we you not know, have all my tracks. I would just be wait. I'd be so hungry. You got to hear about him. Then we would go to the beach and we'd be like, can we have conversation? You know can I ask you a survey? We didn't, you know, you do the trick, survey, track. And then you just, you could not wait to get to Jesus. Like I remember coming off the bus. And listen, no one had to plead with me to read my Bible. No one had to stand up here and be like, just, just, just 10 minutes a day, it's all on us. Like no one no one had to do that. I got off that bus and I would like speed walk home because when I became a Christian, I was like, there's so much I haven't read. Like I remember even thinking like, oh my goodness, I cannot, I, there's words from God himself that I have not read yet. Like, I just was so in love with him. And uh, I just, I want to add, do you, do you remember the joys of when you first met him, the tears, the excitement? And and here's my question, do we want that for others more than anything? Like, is that what we want to see happen in every person's heart. And we kind kind of know the answer. We're like, oh, of course. But I'm serious. Like, sure, I just, you know, we're going into September. Everything's gonna get busy. But I I got a few questions for you. Do you love getting alone with God? Like, do you love getting alone with him? Or, or do you love the times you're alone with God? Like if, if, if someone asks you, what's your greatest passion? Is it, I want to be formed by Jesus. I want all my desires to be Jesus. I want my life with Jesus. That's my greatest passion. Like, are you still amazed at what he's done? And, I, and I, don't, I don't, here's what I don't want right now. I don't want you to just think about this question and I want you to talk to him about it. Like, I want you to tell him, like, Jesus, I want you. Like, I want to have your mind on this stuff because I want to have your mind in me. Like, I, I want more of you. I, we had like an elders retreat on the weekend just for like a day. We went up and hiked the chief. I kept joking, John Alan was like Moses. I was like, you're almost there. <laughs> Except he would pass me all the time. I'll follow you, Moses, I'll be your Joshua. Like, um, but we got to the chief and I, I gave them like these little cards to go pray. And one of the questions I had them ask, Jesus, is Jesus, how close am I to you right now? And I went and prayed that prayer and I felt like the Holy Spirit say, I have a better question. You need to ask, how close am I to you right now? And he just reminded me, like, he's with me. But behind the question is, like, am I authentic in my walk with him? Let me ask you, like, where are you just doing your Christian life? Like, it's not really real. You don't really actually need him. You're not we're not like on our knees going like, I just, I don't have any desire. Like I want you like, or or like in every meeting, we just, we don't need him. But then we show up to like community groups and things like that. And we go like, we just, like when you come in here on a Sunday, are you just going like, oh man, I, I, oh, I cannot wait. I got to hit the first song, the second. Cause I just need to be with him. I want to, I want to sing his praises because he really is joy. He really is who I love. Like the Bible says, God's spirit is in you. Like, I need to ask you a hard question Is anything going on on the inside of you? are you distracted? Like you've forgotten, like he's, he's all like, you shouldn't have to have a pastor convince you to read your Bible. If the spirit's in you, you're, you can't breathe without it. You can't drink this thing. Like you just go like, oh man. And so if you want this, I want, I want us to pray right now. Cause like sure, church, this, nothing should concern you more than your relationship with God. Like nothing, not concern in like a fearful warning way. I mean like priority concern. Nothing is more important to your marriage, to your relationships, to your soul than how you worship God. If you find God to be boring, something is wrong in you. And you gotta take that to him. People are made for Jesus, the goal is Jesus. So if that's you, I, I want us to just pause in the middle of this sermon and I want you to pray. And then I'm gonna pray and I want, I want you to pray, Jesus, restore and renew my heart for you. like. You know, I think, I think the church in Laodicea is a lot like ours, churches on the North Shore. I know your works, you're neither cold nor hot. It's like, a, would you either be cold or hot? Like have a zeal, like either cold and you can feel cold or you're hot. You're, you're 100% something. So because you're lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will spit you out of my mouth for you say I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. There's just this self-reliant, I have it all. Just, I don't need God. And he says, not realizing that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold. He's like, those whom I love, I reprove. I love you. Like behold, I stand at the door and knock. I just, I just don't think we should go into this series if like we're not serious about Jesus. Like I just, I just don't wanna be fake. I don't, I don't wanna be. Yeah, so let's pray. You pray and then I'll pray. Jesus, we, we know it's true that love for this world pushes out love for God. But we know like nothing will ever push out your love for us. And so I, I just, I pray that we would just comprehend the heights and the depths of your love, that we'd experience it again. We'd have this new taste buds. We'd have this new resolve in us. We would think that being like Jesus is the best thing for humanity. That we would strive. We would stop flirting with sin and get so sucked into stuff. Even good stuff. Just, I pray that we would love our, we would love our times alone with you. Please, by, by your spirit, revive our hearts, renew our love. Thank you that you stand at the door and knock and we just, we open it. We say, come in, come in, restore that. I want that In Jesus name amen. Okay, that's just an intro. So the 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 first lens were to think and we we'll, we'll pull it into this series is who are we becoming by what we're giving ourselves to. The second though, so if we're being conformed to the image of his son, and that's great, there, there is a call for believers. Again, this is who I'm talking to. I'm talking to the shore church, You're th- who this sermon is going to hear this sermon, right? We also, as we look at the cultural movements in front of us, we need to ask what the Bible teaches us about how we're not to be conformed to the world. So let me take you to Romans 12, verse one. He says, I appeal to you brothers, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. God's done it all for you, and you get the new life. There's no condemnation. This is what happened. This is the great gospel, and now you're now living like a dead person to self and alive to God is holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual worship. It's how you worship God. You're no longer for you, but for him. But then here's what he says. He helps us do not be, what's our word? Conformed to this, to what? This world. So what does that mean? Here's how J.B. F- Phillips commentator translates this phrase. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. Don't pattern yourself, your worldview, or the contours of your heart's inclinations towards the cultures, ideologies, beliefs that are alienated from God. The word world here is is not a a description of everything and anything. It's, it's, It's a description of the floating mass of thoughts, opinions, speculations, hopes, impulses, aims, aspirations, cultural sentences at any time, current in the world, devoid of God. It's beliefs, pleasures, pursuits that are dead set to live without God. It's, it's a culture that exalts opinions above God's truth. John Stott says we must neither conform to this world nor be contaminated by it. So with this text in mind and with this series in mind, and as as Christians, we need to ask where do we find ourselves conforming to the world and here's where it gets tricky. I think most in this room are biblically convinced on what the Bible teaches on these issues but I think most are fully or still not emotionally convinced. That is, we understand what the Bible says, but it sure doesn't feel compelling. That's why it feels so hard. So we need to ask, because we have to think, why is that? We, we have the spirit going amen to Romans 12 too. And yet we have hearts that are like, uh, uh. so it's what do we, we have to figure out why we have to figure out, we have to ponder why this is so hard. So I'm going to suggest, and we're going to do this. There's, I think three or four major tectonic plates in our thinking and culture that need to be addressed. I'm gonna only hit one. But here's why I think this is so hard. One of the main reasons today is is our world and our culture, their whole moral intuition has changed. So let me explain what I mean. I I give full credit to so many more who are smarter than me. So if I say anything, it's like, oh, that sounds smart. That wasn't me. In his book, The Righteous Mind, psychologist, Jonathan Haidt unpacks how our moral convictions, they tend to come not uh, by rationality, but, but more intuitively. So he says, our gut tells us this is right, this is, and this is not okay. So most today in our culture, their moral intuitions are gut intuitions. And what Haidt argues is that the grit or taste buds today are the following. I'm gonna show you these on the screen. And these determine the culture's moral conclusions. So the world that we're talking about not being conformed to, this is how the moral conclusions are formed today, he argues. Number one, does a given course of action seem, number one, harmful or not, freeing or oppressive, and fair or discriminatory. So these are the underlying gut questions that are forming the morale and the conclusions of morality today. Is it is it harmful to anyone? Is it oppressive? Is it oppressing anyone? Or is it or you know, is it discriminatory? So does it harm anyone? Surely if the really nice gay couple down the street is allowed to be married, and they should be allowed to be married, is, is that's not gonna affect me in any negative way, is it? No. Second, not allowing gay marriage feels oppressive rather than feel freeing. Like we're gonna seriously tell people who they can love. And 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 they want to express that love if they're committed and it's Third, it's, doesn't it seem unfair to oppose this? Like, how can it be fair or just for one couple to be able to get married and not another couple? That is discriminatory. Viewed this way, supporting gay marriage seems intuitively right. That's, now, that's tricky. Here's why, we as Christians can affirm from a belief that we're made to reflect God's love, made in his image to reflect God's goodness, which we'll get to in two sermons, living though in a world affected and infected with all kinds of sin and brokenness, we believe as Christians, it's never okay to heap shame or discrimination to cause harm and, 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 and bring oppression. God is a God who frees people from oppression. There's been a lot of pain caused by homophobia and the demonization of the gay community, and we would all agree that's not okay. In the same way, the woman who was pulled in front of the Pharisees So we're called to be like Jesus, moved to compassion for the people of our culture who have been very victimized. Furthermore, there's ample biblical reason to be appalled at bullying. So what's missing? See how tricky this is? We can affirm much of the gut intuitions. What's missing? Well, that's where we're gonna go. In this series, that's what I—that's well, what we need to have words for. We need to be equipped to be able to navigate what's missing. What's missing is the design of marriage, the God-centeredness of love, the purposes of male and female relationships. God being love doesn't mean He approves of everything we think is love. It means God knows far more about love than we do, and we must listen to Him if. He's made humanity for human flourishing. And if we're to know how to order our loves, thereby actually loving one another appropriately and well, there's so much missing that we need to have answers for. That's what I want to do in this series. So we'll give full answers in the coming weeks, but I'm just wanting us to help sense the seriousness of how tricky it is and why there are elephants in in the rooms and how tricky it is to not be conformed to something that has a lot of good elements in it. But here's where it gets intolerant for us. So again, remember, you're my audience, okay? I'm your pastor, I'm not not at a university lecture, I'm your pastor. So just keep that in mind. Today, if anyone sounds contrary or feels offensive to those taste buds, especially in high school, all our high school guys are gone today. In high school, uh, colleges, universities, it's not, hey, let's talk and engage. Let's hear what you believe in on these opinions. It's you need to be silenced and you need to be shut down. Like the cultural taste buds today say if anything sounds discriminatory, you're deep, like you can't touch that. And that's not just in the church. Like, you know, I talk to my neighbor, they feel that. Especially with the SOGI curriculum, they don't know what they can and cannot say, or they're gonna be shut down. So they're just, okay, you teach, me, you teach me education system. Okay, so we are like, wait, we're getting close to time. So where do we go from here? Well, the, we, we need to, we go to the Bible. And specifically for this sermon, we go to, we we do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of our minds. So this is what I hope to do with this series. I want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, which begins with who we are becoming, begins with a vision for Jesus for others, begins with understanding what the world we're not to be conformed to is. So that's, this is just the preamble of it all. But let me just say as a point of application, because I want to be really applicable throughout this time together, is we listen. We need to listen. One of the most underused verses in Christian living and ministry is Proverbs eighteen thirteen, which says, if one gives an answer before he hears... It is his folly and shame. So we need to have the posture and the compassion and the position of Jesus. We need to listen well, because so much, as one put it, so much of where someone is coming from isn't immediately apparent. Our initial impression of someone and their initial words to us may reveal only a small part of what's stirring them in the depths of their heart. Listening well will help us to see what's going on under the surface. If someone is happy to share something of their story, and we must always ask to see if they are rather than simply presuming, then we'll get a sense of where they've come from and how they've come to be where they are now. We'll know something of the ups and downs they've experienced along the way. This can help us to know where we might best start to share something of Christ with them. He says, this will be on the screen, if if they've been particularly hurt along the way, we might start by talking about how Jesus won't break a bruised reed, or about how he's someone to whom we really can entrust our deepest bruises. If we sense considerable pride, we might show humbling and challenging the words of Jesus are for us all when it comes to the issues of sexuality. If we sense confusion about who they are or a sense of restlessness and dissatisfaction with life, we might introduce them to Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well in John 4 and how he both reveals our identity and also offers living water that will always satisfy. The danger of not listening is that we speak reflexively without giving due thought and consideration to our words We can be unsympathetic, not having taken care to discover sensitivities that might be present. That is great wisdom. So let me say it this way. We have to not be so quick to feel like this needs to get figured out. When it comes to real people, yes, we need to share. Yes, we need to, we cannot be silent on these issues. Yes, there's times where we address the issues up here. And yes, there's times where we're talking about real people in real relationships, not just issues like we need to make a law for the unborn. But on the elephants in the room for our unbelieving community, we're about people coming to the greatest need in their life. And it's not measure up to this changed behavior. It's It's Jesus. It's not cis your desires, cis your orientation, cis your gender, it's Jesus. It's come and look at Jesus. Our job, Shore Church, is to create an environment for people of every expression to feel safe and loved. Not so we can fix them, not because we have all the answers, but because we know someone who does and has the power and the grace and love to do that so that people can have an encounter with Jesus. Amen? Amen. So I want to address something serious for those of you who are still awake and have not sweating. Um, It's serious to us as leaders and pastors that when we wrestle with issues of gender and sexuality for the believer, statistically, historically, most, most Christians feel ostracized and utterly rejected. There's a healthy culture at the shore where you can be vulnerable, where you can be authentic, and you can say, "Man, I my eating disorder is coming back. I can see it. I can feel all the pulls again." Or, "Man, I I, I looked I looked again at pornography." Or, I, "This I can't. I, I think I got an alcohol issue. I think I got wounds from this sexual abuse." I've walked with many of you through these things. But sadly, for most men and women with same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria who are believers, who they genuinely feel this is, the, this, is, this is something that they may not have wanted and it's something they don't feel is in their control, they cannot feel like they can share with another Christian here. And that's not okay. Okay. Shouldn't the safest place in the world be the church? Yes. And, 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 and we're not just satisfied with safe. Don't hear me to say, let's just be safe. The goal is redemptive and becoming like Jesus. But are we safe? I don't know what it would look like for one of our kids growing up in this culture to sense that they are not their gender and then be able to tell this, their parents and their community leader what they're walking through. It shouldn't feel unhard. And so I don't know where you're at, I don't know who you interact with, but you need to feel like you will not be judged Paul says, who am I to judge outside? We're to judge those inside when it comes to sexual sin, but you will not be judged. You will be loved. We will will treat you as if we treated any single person who comes to us going, "I, I don't want this thing. I don't know what it is. You will not be ostracized. The goal is that you would bring all of that to Jesus, learn with Jesus, know that you're loved by Jesus and that you're loved by Jesus' family. We're called to respond compassionately with believers and unbelievers, but especially with those in the household of God. So Sam Albury, I'll close with this. He's a same-sex attracted pastor who's choosing to live in biblical faithfulness. He points out this, not that quote. I'll just read that one of the biggest misconceptions people have concerning sexuality is that Christianity is unfair. He says, we have one set of rules for one group and another set for another group. People think we hate and wanna condemn the gay community. The assumption is that Christians think the LGBTQ and plus people are beneath them. The best way to correct this misconception is to show how the gospel puts us all in the same boat. Jesus always levels the playing field. All of us are fallen and broken in our sexuality. All of us are broken and fallen in our sexuality. All of us have disordered desires. None of us is all we should be in this area. All of us will have to learn to say no to certain sexual desires if we're to follow Jesus but we are all on the same plane. Jesus has come to rescue, renew, and redeem us.